Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 350. Uh, Scott Art and I are in New York and somewhat puzzled by the amount of white snow, material. What is it? There's snow everywhere. Snow it's, there, Snot. It's fucking snowing. No, it's not. No, it's no, it's snow. Snow is Jesus's snot. No. When it, Ew. What? Way to make something wonderful disgusting. What's wrong with snot? I think it's pretty red. I guess it's okay if it's Jesus's snot. Beauty is in the nose of the beholder. <laughs> We are here in New York, uh, cold. Not as cold as Minneapolis a couple days ago, though. It actually feels like a heat wave in New York right now compared to the minus 20 below with the wind chill factor. But the shows have, live shows have been really fun in Minneapolis and in Chicago. And Matt Meyer and I have one more show in Seattle uh, for 2013. So that's Friday the 13th in Seattle. If you go to nurse.com slash calendar, you can get tickets and info for that. Also, it was just announced that there will be another Nerdist podcast at SF Sketchfest this year. And then I'm also going to be uh, moderating a screening of Revenge of the Nerds with the cast of Revenge of the Nerds. I'm flipping what? out. Yes. Wait, seriously? I just found out. Oh my god. It's like all of them. So you're recording this before you told me that? Surprise. <laughs> what? I just found out. That's amazing. And I had to record. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be everyone. I think like Curtis Armstrong, Robert Carradine, and all of them there. Uh, so that'll, and then I think I'm going to do a Bring the Rock with uh, Greg Barrett as well and a couple other shows. That's the weekend of February 7th is the weekend I'm doing all my stuff. But Sketchfest is three weeks at the end of January and then beginning of February. So uh, go to sfsketchfest.com to get tickets for that business. Hey, it's the holidays. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It's the holidays. <laughs> you sound like a DJ. Hey, it's the holidays. I'm sorry, Carla. We're going to have to cut you off right there. <laughs> I just hung up on you. Oh, okay. It's the holidays, which means you should be sending stuff to people. You're supposed to be sending stuff to people. Uh, and that's that means it's time to do our Sherry's Berries. Sherry's Berries? Is this new? Yeah. Really? Yeah. All right, tell me about Sherry's Berries, Chris. <laughs> well, Chloe, let's say I want to send you something, but I don't know what to send you because you have everything and you're really difficult to shop for. Oh, okay. So, uh, actually, you're pretty easy to shop for. Yeah, I put a Triforce on anything and I'll love it. <laughs> well, maybe I could put a stri- Triforce on these strawberries. Oh, I like They're strawberries. Chocolate strawberries, Chloe! Hey, what? I did. I said what? I said chocolate strawberries. Oh, okay. Dipped in dark. <laughs> 
dark chocolate or white chocolate or milk chocolate, you can send them uh, to anyone. You're going to get a 40% savings using the promo code NERD. When you go to, this is, the, this is a fantastic URL. They got berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com, just berries.com. That's satisfying. That is really satisfying yeah. that Sherry's Berries has berries.com. So you can send, uh, you get a 40% savings for $19.99. You can send giant dipped strawberries, not crappy, uh, not crappy ill-looking strawberries, like robust, we will fill your body with goodness. Here, enjoy our chocolatey delight. Melted around our fruit tasting. Or if you don't have any friends or family, you can just send them to me. To you can send them to Skydart. I'll take some. Or send them to yourself too. Yeah. Why not send them to yourself? Yeah. I'll send you to Skydart, and then the strawberries will move into your apartment. Now that seems like a right. Wait, that's. Why? I'm sorry, that got really confusing. Yeah. But there's the only way to get the special offer for 19.99 Sherry's Berries is to either call 866-Fruit02, but zero is is Z E R O, and then the number two, or even better. Visit berries.com, B-E-R-I-E-S. Click on the microphone at the top of the right corner, and then type in nerd. Handle my big berries. I can't. All right, fine, then don't. All right, I might leave it in. They're so good, you can't even bury it. (laughs) Oh, my God, I want to bury this intro. (laughs) Far below the surface of the ocean, where only James Cameron will find it. (laughs) All right, go, continue. This intro's as long as your podcast now. <laughs> oh, man, that's really long. Yeah. Still shorter than Pete Holmes, all in. <laughs> I love you, Pete Holmes. Game change. Um, this episode of the podcast is Dick Costello, who's CEO of Twitter. Um, I've been to Twitter a couple times, and, uh, and I was very excited to talk to Dick, because Dick has a massive comedy background. Dick was a comedy guy. He did improv, uh, and he was in a sketch group with Steve Carell when they were just out of college. And uh, and so he's funny, and he runs <laughs> one of the biggest social media platforms in the world. Uh, and he happens to be a really nice guy, so I went and chatted with him in, uh, up in the Twitter offices. So here you go, the Nerdist Podcast, number 450, with Dick Costolo. Dick doesn't know this yet, but he and I are going to be best friends now forever. We're going to be best friends, Dick. We're going to hang out, and we're going to talk about comedy and um, make jokes, and then you, I'm, I can live at Twitter, and you will teach me the secrets of the bird! Fail whale. Not cool, Skydart. <laughs> Not cool. Now entering Nerdist.com. Just like at any second, it's, yeah. it's going to like it's sprout gonna a tail and climb into your package. chest like in the Matrix. Yeah. yeah, right. And I'll just record this on backup just in case. I'm just going to ask you, do you do backup? Because it, what, a, what a horrible thing to not see the record. It's happened. Oh, the worst was um, I, we were recording, um, we were doing a live show in New York around New York Comic Con, and we were at the Best Buy Theater doing a live podcast, and we recorded the whole show. It was Guillermo del Toro was the guest, and Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater, and Travis Beecham, and... And the, it was great. Some guy asked his girlfriend to marry him. Like it was this, this like a perfect show, perfect podcast. We get off stage, and uh, there's a there's a very uh, um, uh, let's call him uncaring uh, teamster in the bag who just sort of pointed and goes, 
hey, this recording thing stopped, and we didn't know who to tell. <laughs> like, oh, come on. So we thought we lost the recording. We were devastated. I so, I, well, I went, I went on, I went, I went on Twitter. Someone in the audience recorded. This is where it all comes the audience recorded on their freaking iPhone. They recorded the entire show, which I thought was odd because they knew we were going to put it out, but they did, and it actually sounded okay. Amazing. You put that out. Yeah, yeah. So now that person's suing you. This was (laughs) shit. I should have gotten a release. So this was an accidental, circuitous route to get back to the fact that we are deep in the bowels of Twitter right Right. now, and Twitter saved our uh, saved our show that day. So whatever you had to do with that, I really appreciate it. Everything. Because Guillermo would have been really mad. Yes. <laughs> he would have been really mad. Can we do that again? And then you, then when you lose a show, you want to recreate all the moments, but you can't. Yeah. They're right. just no, gone. it's impossible. So I'm then, thinking... Then to do the, well, it was funny the first time because, yeah, that's never works. <laughs> no, and then no, you said, that. and then yeah, I that's said... That's not what you said. Shit, no, do it again. Okay, no, you again. <laughs> no, better. Do a better read. Um, but there's a ton of stuff that I want to talk to you about. But I, I do want to start with... I do want to start with comedy stuff. All right. Because let's do that. Let's talk about when you went into improv, why yeah. you left improv, do you miss improv? Why I left improv. Yes, yes, yes and all of that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I went into it because I studied computer science at Michigan. I knew I was going to get... When I went to school, I knew I wanted to study computer science. My dad got me one of those... A TRS-80 at a Radio Shack. I had a TRS-80. Yeah, with the cassette tape. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the storage device. And uh, I was programming on that, just in basic. And so I knew when I went to Michigan, I'm going to study computer science. So I'm studying computer science at the time. The computer science department, way back when, was in the School of Literature, Science, and the Arts, not like in the engineering school like it is today. So when I was a senior, I had to get a certain number of arts credits to graduate, and I didn't have enough. I had all my engineering credits and math credits but not enough arts credits so i decided like what can i'm looking through the course catalog <laughs> what can i take where i won't really have any homework and i can go to the operating system stuff i you know i need to do and i come across the drama department I'm like, drama i can be i can be dramatic i can do that uh, I'll t- and there won't be any homework you know we'll like do a play at the end no paperwork <laughs> and so i took this a theater class my first semester senior year and at the same time also started doing stand-up on Wednesday nights at the student union where they had open mic night and the combination of the doing stand-up which I had a ball doing and then taking this acting class which I also loved I like completely got that and then so second semester I took another acting class started doing more stand-up and decided as I was getting my degree I'm not going to go take any of these programming jobs. I'm going to go to Chicago and try to, you know, go get into Second City and uh, do that. And so I did. I remember calling my mom and dad telling them. It was just silence, you know, on the other end of the phone. <laughs> so all that money that so, went to college, you're just not going to... Yeah, it's going to work out great, though, because you yeah. just you wait. <laughs> and, uh, and so I did. I went and did that. You know, and then, you, you know, when I went to Chicago, you kind of had to do this. You went and did this, like, into, entered this program at Second City where you tried to, like, you know, yes, learn all the ropes, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the way we do it. This is kind of, you know, this is how you yes and to people, and uh, you're working with directors at Second City who are 
uh, running the program, and uh, Steve Carell and I were in the same group. That's what I heard. Enough. You guys were in the same. Did you did your group have a name, or you were just in the we same did? Class? And I don't remember what it was now. We were we did. We had a group, and then we you know we we did shows out you know in, in town and on the backstage at Second City on on like Monday nights or something. I think we were doing a, the Second City has two stages: a front stage and then an ETC et cetera stage. And we were doing we were doing the backstage show on Mondays or something, and uh, and then around town and uh, yeah, you know. All that stuff. Is Carell on Twitter? He he is on the Twitter. He's not a he's not a super active user of it. Kind of a dick move <laughs> for an old buddy. Kind of a dick well, move. Well, I hadn't. I, I saw him once a year and a half ago for the first time in literally twenty some years. I had. Did he know him. what you were doing? No, I saw. <laughs> what are I you s- doing? You know Twitter? Um, that's mine. <laughs> what do you mean that's yours? <laughs> well, I run it. It's a thing. Well, I show I. I brought to, uh, he was speaking at this um, Lucille Packard's Children's Hospital fundraiser. He was speaking at it. And uh, I brought one of the old, someone he had found here, a, um, a review in the Sun-Times of the group we were in. He, <laughs> he looks the same. He looks the exact, you see him and you're like, that is Steve Carell today, but you look like you're 25 years younger. <laughs> he looks the same. And uh, he just hasn't aged. And uh, so I show, you know, showed him the clip, and he's like, we're remembering, we're, you know, talking about who, everyone who's in the group. And, uh, you know, he patted me on the back and said, I'm sorry it didn't work out for you. <laughs> <laughs> in the way he would do it, you know. That's really funny. Pants. Well, yes. I think guys, guys who look like dads, even when they're young, have this weird sort of benefit in that... They will look the same for 50 years. I was just noticing that with Patrick Stewart. Like, since Dune, that guy has looked exactly the same. And I'm sure at the time it was like, ah, shit, you know? The guy was probably like 25 when he had to shave his head. And then, but then now that he's 70, whatever he is, he looks the same as he did on Next Gen. Yeah. So I think it's a total benefit for guys who just look like dads from like 20 on. Yeah, I'll t- uh, you know, if you saw this picture, you would say, that is Steve Carell today, and you <laughs> look like you're a, you know, teenager or something. Now, when you, when you were doing stand-up, was there any part of you, like, when did you kind of make the decision between stand-up and improv? Pretty quickly. I mean, I knew, I knew, uh, pretty quickly, just because I liked it. It was more fun for me. I liked it better. I didn't like that, like... It was too, the thing I didn't, this is going to sound obvious to anyone who's done, anyone who's listening to this or who's done stand-up will say, um, of, you know, of course, what were you thinking? I didn't like the hecklers, you know, <laughs> and then having to be ready for them. Like, oh, I got to have something, you know, to say when some drunk person says, ah, you're stupid, get and then, off. So then you essentially run a platform that's full of trolls, <laughs> which are... <laughs> which are essentially digital hecklers. See how the see how it all comes it all comes back, it all comes back around. How do you deal with trolls? <laughs> you must get trolled a little bit. Um, I get mostly two groups of people who disagree with the way the other group of people is using Twitter, and they shouldn't be allowed to use it that way. Right. You know, why aren't these accounts suspended? And then the other group saying, we should be able to say whatever we want to say. Why did that person get suspended? Right. That's most of the stuff I get where people are like, you're stupid. Do you, do you type in, like, you were dealing with a heckler? I don't come down to your place of business and dot, dot, dot. Insert, 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 insert heckler response. retort right there. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't do that. No, you can't do that. No. You when you run a thing, you really do have to be a politician, and you and you have to fight um, 
a lot of human urge to be like, I am not going to bed until I prove to this person that they're dumb. I've had my share of doing that on Twitter. And I had a conversation with Biz Stone the morning of the IPO. Uh, Biz and I were in New York, and Biz said to me, Hey, Dick, the next time you're thinking of saying that to one of those people on Twitter, just call me, call the Biz Stone hotline, and I'll tell you, and you can tell me, I'm thinking of responding to this person this way, and I'll say... Don't do that. Just put the phone down and don't say that. And so that was his advice to me. I'll do that next time. What we should do is we should, let's see if we can create like a, um, almost like a regret Twitter where it's a separate Twitter, it's a separate Twitter functionality where it allows you to type and tweet at people, but it doesn't actually go into the public timeline. So you still get the feeling of like, I showed that guy, but there's no, there are no yeah. repercussions. Like the steering wheel you give to your kid. That it's a practice wheel. Yeah, yeah, it's a practice, yeah, yeah, a practice wheel, wheel <laughs> that we, you give to people in moments of rage. You should never tweet when you're emotional. You is hit what the I've silent done. tweet button. That's right. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Silent tweet. So yeah. you just you just kind of look at it and you, you just, just feel, feel like oh, I feel oh, good. I, I showed them. Yeah. I one up them. It, That's a way better line than, than oh, theirs was. It never, ever, 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 ever really works out well when you when you engage in it. it never, never, never works out well. It's always it's always best to be smart about that and go. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a jerk right now. But um, do you remember any of your old stand-up? Do you remember any of any of what you talked about? I almost remember almost none of my stand-up. I um, it was all like college stuff, you know. I was, I was doing it when I was on campus. So it was all like stupid fraternities, sorority. You know, like the dogs are like this and cats are like this. But it was fraternities <laughs> and sororities. Gotcha, gotcha, Some, gotcha. Like. Introductory in, intro to stand-up comedy stuff. So it wasn't any. You, know, you need it when you hit the elevator button, and you know it doesn't come, and then someone else. Like it was really like introduction to stand-up comedy. So you hadn't yet woven in any of the programming stuff. Ten, look at butts. Twenty, go to ten. Thirty, run. <laughs> no, see that would have been good. See, where were you? Where were you? Where I would have been the you? one. Could have used you to blend the two disciplines together. <laughs> that was way better than. The fraternity sorority stuff I was doing. I probably had those jokes when I was in college too. My, my, I went to UCLA and we had the same, like our Ackerman Student Union had um, an open mic show like on Tuesday nights. And it was the food it was the food court. So you were essentially gorilla stand-upping at people yeah. who mostly were there to study or eat food, but it was, you know, it's a, it's if you're going to do comedy, though, it's a good it's a good place to start. I think I remember the people in my CS department when they would talk to me about doing the comedy stuff saying, you know, you should do a joke about like traversing a, a binary tree and like that's you know, see <laughs> see you get that you get that why that's funny and no one else is really going to understand. You could probably do no that now. Really understand that. You could probably do that now. Probably do it now. It still might not have the broad appeal that one hopes to have in a stand-up. Do you think improv training is good? You would, st- you would st- certainly still get heckled by the drunk guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's always going to happen. And he would say the same thing. Say, that's stupid. So, next! <laughs> next! Uh, I, I, do you think improv is a good training for any career? Yeah, totally. I absolutely 100% do. Because you have to learn... To not go into an environment with preconceived notions about what has to happen next in order for this to work. You know, that never works when you do that in, in improvisation. When you say to yourself, well, I'm going to go out there and then I'm going to try to make it this happen so I can say this line I want to say. That never, never works. <laughs> no. 
I've been in, I've been in environments where people have tried that and completely ruined you know completely ruined the scene. I remember at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago, there were two people on stage doing this great scene. I was in the audience this night, although I was doing a bunch of stuff at the Annoyance at the time. And Jeff Garland from Curb Your Enthusiasm, mm -hmm. Jeff Garland well. decides I'm going to enter this scene, you know, because I've got something funny I want to say. And the couple on stage is set up the fact that there's some, you know, husband and wife and modern-day American dealing with some issue. And Jeff, you know, knock, knock, knock at the door, and husband opens the door, and Jeff declares, stroking his imaginary beard, I'm Abraham Lincoln! Oh, no! <laughs> Completely, like, submarines the entire scene. So the rest of the night, anytime Jeff would, would enter stage... The other people would point to him and say, "Look, everybody, it's the bull, Scotty Pippen," <laughs> and, and declare declare something on him, you know, instead See, of allowing him to establish. I was surprised they didn't point him and go, "Look, it's Abraham Lincoln." Yeah, like right. every yes, time, yes. oh, you want to come in that and be Lincoln? Now you're going to be Lincoln and now you're going to be Lincoln and every. You want to come and undermine this scene? So that stuff never works in improv when you kind of try to have a preconceived notion about what you want to have happen. And certainly, managing a business, you have to be ready for anything to happen, and you have to, when you're making decisions, not think to yourself, I'm going to decide X no matter what anyone says, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be able to ask people for feedback, and then based on what you hear, realize, okay, my thinking about this was wrong, I need to take what they're saying into the consideration, etc. So I use that stuff all too, the time. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a much more efficient way of saying what I was trying to say. Mm -hmm. It just teaches you to listen. I think they're two different, I think they're two different skill yeah. sets. Cause if some, you don't listen, you can't communicate. Yeah, just because someone is listening doesn't mean that they're going to know how to be flexible and, and play along. Yeah. And even people who can be, even people who are pretty funny in conversation, you, there's just something really specific about improv training. Oh, I, 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 I took a bunch of Groundlings classes in the 1900s, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, I, and you know, I was, I was kind of arrogant and thought I was pretty damn funny. Yeah. And like, oh, I can riff with people. How hard right. is that? How hard is this going to be? But then you start learning the structure of it, and you're right. like, oh, no, I'm no good at this at all, because I'm a control freak, and that's right. no good for improv. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. This sucks. I'm going to go do stand-up. <laughs> so it's, it's always funny. It's always interesting to me to hear, like, why people take, because... Not a lot of people do both. Not no. a lot of people do both. No, when I was at no, no, they don't. In fact, when I was at Second City, um, Rachel Dratch, who's a buddy of mine, was at Second City. At the, uh, when I was in Chicago improvising, I think it was at the, at the Annoyance Theater at the time, and Rachel was at Second City. Um, and she was dating a stand-up. I remember, if I remember correctly, and there was all this like odd sort of. Why would you do that? <laughs> What's it like? The you know? <laughs> What's that like? It's so weird that you're seeing. So, and and the funny thing was, uh, the sort of the stand up, the 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 big stand up uh, place in Chicago was literally like a half a block away from Second City, and yet you know. None of those people ever, you know, sort of never saw those people. You know, it's like, what do they do over there in there's, that strange world? There's just a million bad inside <laughs> jokes about about a stand-up and an improv person yes. in moments of intimacy. Like, yes. when they finish, the guy goes, I'm about to wrap this up. And then the, the improv comics, there's just a blackout. <laughs> just so many stupid inside jokes. It's so great. many stupid inside jokes. I, uh, I'm actually going to perform in Chicago on Saturday. 
which I'm super excited about. And I'm not excited about the fact that it's probably four degrees there, but I'm super excited to... Chicago is just such an amazing comedy. Yeah, it's organism. an amazing place to go for comedy. It's it's always been like that. It's great. There's so many people there in the in the business and in the industry, and it's awesome there. I love it. At what point did you decide... Uh, yeah, maybe I'll do business stuff now. Maybe I'll do technology. Yeah. Maybe I'll go back and use my computer science degree. So I, you broke it out was the pretty, it, was pretty, it was pretty obvious when I was getting auditions uh, for a bunch of these shows that everyone else would get auditions for, and I didn't get any of them, and they did, you know. I would get the um, call to go to the, you know, a group uh, SNL audition and didn't get called back, and, uh, you know, other people did. And all these other shows as well, like various shows on Comedy Central and Mad TV. I remember if you remember when that was on. Oh, I remember. Um, I auditioned yeah. for that show like yeah. five times. Yeah. And it was never. Did you did you audition for Mad and SNL? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you do? Just uh, just characters, you know, like three through the door. Um, but these were these were like pre not you know these are in Chicago like big group auditions right. So it's just you know the a few of the producers up there um, or and agents and doing like three characters a minute each and okay thank you right Ugh. yeah horrible the cattle call of comedy yeah, yeah. Where, where you where you go there and you, you kind of walk in going I'm special yeah. I'm special yeah. right. I'm not that special nope not I'm not nope. special at all look there are 80 of us <laughs> that guy's <here>. way better <laughs> yeah. damn it yeah how did yeah. that happen and then you know the real auditions for that are in New York when they call the people back right 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 right, right. this where right. all the real that's at the point you're actually you are kind of special <laughs> and even then, I think people leave feeling like, what just happened? Yeah. Yeah. What just, I'm, my heart's in my hand. Right. Why did that uh, happen to me? <laughs> to be, there's I blood coming out of my mouth. A, I woke up in such a great mood. <laughs> Why am I bleeding <laughs> all over the place? For weeks. <laughs> um, so you were saying that you, so you decided, you know. Or, or more likely the case, you woke up thinking, this is just so funny. This is just the funniest bit. Kiss I've got death. this one minute, like, nailed this character, everything about it. And you leave the room thinking, God, that character's stupid. Why did I, Why think, did I do that How could one? I have thought that, what am I, dumb? I know, it is, it is pretty amazing how That's in an instant... That's the worst character ever. I, so it's so clear. Yeah. Why didn't someone... <laughs> right. Why wasn't I? Yeah, it is pretty... I, I always feel like the jokes that you laugh too hard at yourself are too inside your own head, and so no one else yeah. can ever get them, and so that's why they don't work. Yeah. Do, you, do they poke I, you to sort of do comedy at, uh, if you're doing like, you know, if you have retreats or meetings or whatever, do you ever, did you ever come no. back to it at all? No. I mean, I kind of like fall into it at our all hands meetings, but just by, as a matter of course. I think it's kind of cool though that you're the boss and if you wanted to do like 25 minutes, they, <laughs> they would have, have to they have listen to stay. To you. And you yeah. can't leave. You and can't no leave. And no heckling. <laughs> <laughs> There, are, there will be actual consequences. That's for like, once, <laughs> for once, there will be consequences tackling. To give you a really messed up way to thin the herd is that you ply them with alcohol and be like, someone's going to heckle. Someone's not going to be able to help it. And that's where you're like, out. That person won't come in tomorrow. <laughs> out of the show? No, out of the building. Forever. Uh, so you, 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 you kind of veered off and said, I'm going to go back to technology. And then what did you... Did you want to develop uh, things yourself, or was it? Did you want to be a part of a bigger team, or what? I guess I started off being part of a big. I started up working at this, uh, working a, as a consultant and part of a bigger team, and then quickly decided when the internet really, you know, I remember seeing my first copy of the Mosaic and thinking like, oh, this is like 
crazy how extensible the web is and this is really important and uh that's when i decided i gotta go i gotta go do some stuff on my own and started then and had have been doing it since what year was that 93 sort of for me sorry for me it was i would say summer of 93 fall of 93 yeah that's when i that was the first time i went online it was like 90 it was like 93 and searched a web crawler yeah and you and you start to kind of figure it out and that it's you know you as you figure it out you remember thinking like this is some you know, this is amazing and if you and if it's as extensible as it seems it is and then all that stuff has sort of come true which is cool did it did it develop in the way that you thought it would or how what 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 sort of surprised I think you in a lot of ways years? it did and the ways that the, the ways that I thought it would develop were that it would be like I said I mean I use that word intentionally I thought it would be really extensible like oh boy it's not just you know, that you'll, this document will link to that document. You'll be able to, like, embed all this functionality in there and traverse between different kinds of functionality. And that all kind of, ha- it did kind of happen. I mean, you know, some of it is better and some of it's not. And I think some of the commerce uh, stuff and currency things I, I thought would be um, more seamless by now, and it's taken us a while to get to that point. Um we're kind of getting there now, um, but otherwise, yeah, kind of, kind of went the way I, th- I thought it would. That it would be this extensible world, and different pieces of it would plug together, and they, they have. Well, now that it's essentially democratized <laughs> everything, yeah. like art and pop culture, and you know, maybe, maybe business and I mean, not so much politics. It but. keeps happening too, right? I mean, like even with. Gosh, even with stuff like Bitcoin now, and you've got this zero transaction cost currency. Like, oh my God, what's now? What's you know what happens when you have a zero transaction cost sense of a currency? It's and we haven't even. I mean, it's like super early days for that, right? That's going to totally change the way people think about the kinds of things they can. Stuff like that makes me. I always get a little nervous about it when someone says. Uh, you should sink a bunch. You should buy a bunch of bitcoins. Yeah. it's gone up like a thousand percent. I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. that's a bad sign. You got to be real careful about that shit. No, man, you just <laughs> buy it one day and you. I know, but you really, it's <laughs> no. you're yeah, on a. No, you just it's like yeah. Let it norm. Let yeah. the bubble pop and then yeah. let it normalize. Yeah. Like, don't just immediately. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't. I I don't mean it that way. I mean like <laughs> the sense that you've got this protocol for you know essentially currency i put in like a dollar and i got a million dollars back you should, if you do that if you put in a million you, yeah. you could get like a hundred billion dollars oh no yeah right oh, it's like no. that kid on tv last week who did the hey mom send bitcoin and got twenty four thousand dollars and now everyone's writing those their signs for this weekend who will get you know 14 cents uh. each <laughs> no it was no, we all wanted to send it to that one guy, and now none of us are going to send it. What, how do you think it's possible to sort of to elevate a little bit above all the noise of everything? Because I'm always fa- I'm fascinated by the idea that when when the web became really commercially available to the public, it was a, this walled garden of AOL, basically. Yeah. For most people, yeah. and then everyone kind of like knocked the walls down and rubbed their eyes and were like. 
It's a beautiful world outside the Logan's Run <laughs> I was bubble. Say, you were yeah. describing Logan's I'm Run. I'm describing Logan's Run. There's no sanctuary. Uh, and, and we all get to live to be 31. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you, but you go out into the wild and you see the old man who was born in Africa Earth. And, uh, and he has a bunch of cats. And, cats, yes. and, uh, and that really is what is out there on the internet. See? Oh my God, all, Logan's it's Run. It's all happened. It's a perfect metaphor. It's the perfect metaphor for the internet. Uh, and, and, but then now, now we see that people have actually wanted to go back to the the walled gardens uh, you know because of you know of facebook and social networking and media because and twitter because i think there's just so much that people are like, man, I really just want, I just want to carve out my little space and know and have it hand delivered to me. I think there's an ebb and flow to that stuff. I mean, I think that will just continue to happen. And then people, it's like, it's like one of the things that's funny about that, like the open, open ecosystems versus closed platforms. It's kind of the same as this, um, you know, there was this meme a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, of, oh, you know, you have to be, we only, it was kind of a venture thing, of we only back founder CEOs. You know, if you're not a founder, because founders are the best, or for whatever reason, founders are the best CEOs, because there was their idea, and they understand it, and, and then, you know, and then you had um, John Dono at eBay, and Jeff Weiner at LinkedIn, and, and other people who aren't founders being the CEOs of the company, and, and then it's... And then it becomes, you got to get a professional seat. <laughs> like, <laughs> the only way this will ever work is if you're, you know, I don't know. It comes kind of goes both ways and ebbs and flows. I think the same thing about closed platforms and open ecosystems. They, they can both work. It's not like one's always better than the other. Um, I think they're, I think that stuff ebbs and flows constantly and will continue to. I think we'll see, by which I mean, I think we'll see... Um, a renewal or a resurgence of an embrace of some open ecosystems and open platforms. I, the, it's funny you say the thing about founder CEOs because it, it, I can understand how in one, in one sense, just because someone comes up with an idea does not mean that they're necessarily good at scaling up and managing <laughs> a larger infrastructure and maintaining something on a day to day basis. That's a, I feel like that's a different skill set than, I got this crazy idea and I'm going to start this thing up and there's five employees now to when it gets to be like 100, 200, 1,000 employees. Yeah. Like, oh, this is, a, this is a different animal than when it started. Yeah. There are a bunch, there's some people who can totally do it. I mean, Larry Page is doing a great job of it. Jack's doing it at Square. Uh, Zuck's doing it at Facebook. I think, it's, I think it's doable. Some people just get to the point where like, I don't want to do that. I want to go, you know, do another one of these things. By the way, I really liked FeedBurner. Thank you. I really like Feed yeah, Burner. Yeah, we love the Feed Burner. I I was actually when I started the podcast, I was I was mad at myself that I didn't set up the uh, the the RSS feed for the podcast through Feed Burner because it would have given me the ability to. We were mad about that too at the time. <laughs> I'm was, sure you were on our list of things that you know we we had to go fix in the world. You know what I loved the most about Feed Burner? Hmm. I will tell you. This is a little never before revealed. Uh, my one of my favorite things about Feedburner was our blog posts. You go back and read the old Feedburner blog posts. They had a, like this attitude about them that was like uh, it's very open and funny and irreverent, but uh, they were great. That was my, one of my favorite things about it. We would at, we would obsess sometimes. Uh, Matt Shove, one of my co-founders, and I would obsess sometimes about the right reference, like the right sub-reference to some movie line or or book. Uh, that we had read to put in the blog post. We would go over that for 
hours. Well, those are my favorite. Those are my. Th- th- those were the. Those were the types of nerds that I idolized and identified when it, with when I was a kid. It was the ones like the. Um, the original D and D authors and like yeah. the people who made Zork. It was just always yeah. this sort of like yeah. Yeah. there was this almost there was this kind of weird irreverent, um, you know. We are giving you this information, and you're welcome. But that was kind of a funny <laughs> yeah. like, and they knew that yeah. they were screwing around. And I I always love that. And and there's still some companies like, like I think Valve is a company that yes. kind of has that vibe. I of, totally agree with you. You know, and and I always really 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 love to. I, I, I love to experience that with, with a brand or a company yeah. that I'm involved with. I remember specifically one time we were we we debated for literally hours the right um, uh, joke name of a like suburb that we should use. You know, these suburbs are always named like the the div- subdivision rather is called like Twin Pines or Lake Forest or whatever. You know, come some two two natural elements merged yeah. together. And we concluded that Boggy Meadows was the right was the right <laughs> reference to use. That was where we landed. Was that we you, landed after literally probably three hours. You know, when it's we're going with Boggy Meadows. See, now, now see, I, it is unfortunate that when you get you came to Twitter that you couldn't bring some of that lore and like uh, Twitter is based in Boggy Meadows and like that's your banger main basically. It's like that's or, or your uh, Shermer Illinois. Yes, that's that's exactly your Shermer right. Illinois. That's probably yes. more appropriate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you can't have everything. Does it say that on your profile? <laughs> no, it should. <laughs> Boggy Meadows. Is that Boggy Meadows, Illinois? Somewhere you in Boggy Meadows. No, we didn't have it. We didn't. We didn't statify it. So it's a Springfield. Okay, it's a Springfield. Yes. Boggy, Boggy Meadows. <laughs> now there's going to be a bunch of now. Now, there's, now, now it's going to happen. Now people are going to create a Boggy Meadows. They're going to. They're going to create wish, this digital virtual Boggy I'm, Meadows. I'm hopeful. Someone now. Has already. Are you getting? Are you parking at Boggy Meadows? He's parking at Boggy Meadows. Done. It's already happened. Who can type the fastest? Okay. Someone's gotten it. It's a, I really miss those days when I uh, when I just used to be really bored at three o'clock in the morning and just started parking domains that I would never use. I have hundreds of domains that I renew every year. <laughs> Even though I'm, it's never... where all your money's going. That's where you're burning all your money. That's why you've got to go play Chicago. That's why, why I have to go play Chicago. Chicago. Wow, yeah. I've got these domains. Domains, oh. I got to renew. It's my uh, yeah, it's my domain <laughs> replenishment tour, right? I go out and so I can, so I can keep buying papal nip slips uh, dot dot org. For some reason, I don't know why. I don't know why. I uh... thankfully I said thankfully I stopped doing that because. I feel like it's not as much anymore, but even like five or six years ago, it was like, we got to have the .net and the .org, and well, I guess you should probably get the .tv too, and well, you better get the .biz, can you get the .us? It was just like, all every extension. The upset. Yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the .biz was the undercoat of the of the domain name. It really was. Get that, the undercoat. That one didn't really... <laughs> That's the. Do you want to get the protection plan with this? It's two years. Yeah, it's only twenty bucks. Okay, sure. Yeah, I know. And now, well, and now there's like, sure, you could leave it available for somebody else and ruin your business. Who? Who is the? I'm I'm not really sure who the. uh, It's what is it? The international something of ICANN. ICANN. Yeah, Yeah. and, and so. Why are they in power, and how come they get to decide those things? Is there any? Is there any? Were they just an organization who was like, ah, we'll do that? Who? I, I guess I should 
research that before I start talking about it. <laughs> but I, but I've but I've always kind of wondered. I guess not enough to really Google it. Uh, but I've always kind of wondered, like, why that body? Like, what was? I think it? another body that had previously been anointed anointed them. Oh, they did. So you have to go back and figure out who the first anointer was. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> or was it like Greek mythology where they actually it was like a father son thing, and the son consumed the father and became the and then became the the, the head of the gods. Um, so Feedburner uh, was sold to Google. It was. And then you went to work for Google. I did in June June uh, two thousand seven. Not that long ago. No. I mean, it feels. I know it's, it's almost seven years ago, but it really doesn't feel like. 2007 doesn't seem like that long ago. No, no, it doesn't feel like that long ago at all. And so when you came in, were you running FeedBurner, or did they just sort of absorb you into the Google sphere? Um, I was running FeedBurner, but then I also went to uh, go um, take on a couple other things uh, in the ads group for Susan Wojcicki. Susan runs the whole ads product team there mm-hmm. at Google. She is the person in, whom's, in whose garage Larry and Sergey uh, started the company. Um, so I was working for her for her for a while on FeedBurner plus other stuff. Yeah, and did that for two years. Um, Sergey's like Bruce Wayne, by the way. <laughs> in in what way? Well, in the <laughs> sense that I spoke there a while ago, and he was standing off to the side, and it was before the glasses the glass came out, and uh, and he was looking at me through them. And I knew that he was gathering information, and I didn't know what that was. And I'm like, this guy is a billionaire with a laboratory under the crust of the earth. And there's, if this is what is peeking out on through the surface, there's some insidious shit going on <laughs> In the down near layer. the core. Yeah. There, there must be some crazy stuff down there that I don't know about. So I reason that he must be some sort of a... Some sort I of see, a, I see. a billionaire technology uh, Bruce Wayne type of a guy would probably be disappointed to go into the actual you know lab 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 on, into the lair and discover that n- no it's just like a win- they're working on a winter coat <laughs> you know? it's a coat machine with arms that hands you the soda itself You're like oh <laughs> and then it transforms into a toilet <laughs> what well come you know, on <laughs> yeah come on. <laughs> It's just a down coat, but look, it's like half a gram lighter than yeah. a real down coat. He basically he basically spends a billion dollars trying to recreate the Peltzer thing from Gremlins, <laughs> where it's like it's got the toothpaste and then the shave, and they can never get it right, and it still squirts shaving cream everywhere. Damn it! He spent billions, billions. Throw it all out. We're starting over. <laughs> oh, Sergey's mad. <laughs> Sergey smash. Uh, so did you? When you kind of when you when you sort of uh, came in through Google, what was it? What did you feel like you were doing or training for? Or what what did you want to accomplish at that point? Oh, that's a good question. I don't remember. I really don't think about. Um, I don't think about things that way. So, you know the que- the interview question I always was horrible at answering was, "Where do you see yourself in you know? Where do you see yourself in three years?" I mean, since the, like the since college when I would get that question I would I remember thinking like I don't know like I don't know I'm not thinking about I don't see myself in three years uh, so I, I didn't go into it with now that I'm inside you know now that I'm at Google I have to make sure X happens by you know 2009 I was very much just in it was so cool I mean it's such a amazing company and there's so many crazy smart people there I was just um, I was learning a ton just about 
everything about the way Google systems were built, about the way they thought about um, the way they thought about architecting systems. I thought was really cool. Um, the way they thought about like the twenty percent program at the time, which I know they've they've peeled way back on or gotten rid of, but just that whole idea of oh yeah, like that's an interesting way of thinking about how you should, could go create new things and. That was awesome. I loved working there. I loved it. Do you when you when you sort of look at the way they're run versus the way a company like Valve runs, where it's there's basically no org chart, <laughs> and it's just everyone's just sort of responsible for their yeah. own thing, or with Google, where it's like the twenty percent. Well, I'm, I know I'm sure most people know this, but it's the idea that you know twenty percent of oh, your yeah, time sorry. should be devoted to you can devote to your own personal projects, yeah. and I'm sure Google Something owns you them go, if you yeah. do. But 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 still, that's where a lot of their innovation comes yeah, from. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I think um, I heard one time somebody, uh, a guy who's been a CEO of a bunch of companies, um, said, you know, I hear once in a while people will tell me, well, I don't want to have a management structure because the engineers, you know, and designers and product people here don't want to be managed. And the person would go out into the hallway and and talk to the actual engineers and designers and product managers, and they'd say, yeah, I would love to have somebody give us a better sense of like how we should be doing this and which direction we should be going and we kind of all have our oars in the water right now but they're not really necessarily going in the same direction um i i prefer to build companies with us more of a structure where people understand how what they're doing fits into what everyone else is doing and the context of all that stuff as opposed to just, yeah. I don't know, those guys over there are doing something and <laughs> totally. I'm doing another something. I'm, I'm kind of smiling and kind of laughing a little bit because you, you just you made me think of a comparison between like <laughs> like party dad and dad dad. Where it's like, party dad is like, hey, you kids do whatever you want. And it's like, well, no, kids need a little bit of structure. Yeah. Like, they need some guidance. Yeah. And a dad dad will be like, hey, I'm firm but fair. And these are some these are some guidelines. And this is a goal. And you yeah. should, you know, so just the idea yeah. of, like, the party dad CEO of, like, hey, everybody, you know. Yeah. And I don't think yeah. Gaben's like that. But, I mean, in some cases, I'm sure... Some people always, you know, they're like, yeah, everyone do whatever whatever the hell you want. Like, that's, I guess that's not really a way to run a big company. People really need some Or direction. be a dad, I don't not think. Not a great way to be a, not a great way to be a dad, either. Not a great way. Yeah. Hey, yeah. kids, I'll, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll spring for the beer if you go pick it up. You're 15. It's fine. Yeah. So totally Yeah, fine. you don't see a lot of the people at the sort of the MacArthur Genius Grant get up and say, well, I'm, you know, thank like to thank my dad who just told me to do whatever the hell I wanted to do and <laughs> bought us beer, you know. And anyway, yeah. Well, I think it's it's you know because I, I have a I have a little company that I am the CEO of and it's smallish, but uh, but I'm also interested in sort of understanding how things scale up. Why they scale, is it a good thing to scale up and not always? I would imagine. Yeah, I don't think it's always a good thing to scale up. I think that. You know, I think that the big mistake people make is I have to do X because I'm supposed to do X. And I'm supposed to do X because that guy did X. And, you know, the people who invested in my company like the way that guy's thing worked. And they keep telling me, you know, well, that guy did X. And so you should do X. I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of, um, uh, heck, then, <clears throat> especially in Silicon Valley, you know, you lionize these figures who everyone then says, well, that worked because, you know, person X does, says you should always do this. And so I got to, I'm supposed to go do it that way. Uh, books are written about these guys, whoever it is, you know, Steve Jobs or 
Jeff Bezos or Zuck or, or whoever. And I think that you have to realize that doing what you think you're supposed to do instead of doing what you want to do is almost never a good idea. Sure. Well, yeah, because I, I, I think the risk probably is that if you are in a corporate structure and maybe you have a cushy job, then there's a lot of fear that starts to seep in of like, well, I don't want to lose this job. I don't want to take yeah. a risk. To lose. So how do you, you know, how do you make sure that, that there's an environment and everyone feels like we have the freedom to take risks, um, but we're still, you know, we still understand how to balance that with being on point with, you know, what our goals are and where we're going. Yeah, that's a really, that gets to be a harder and harder challenge as the company gets bigger and bigger. One of the things that we talk about here as a company all the time is trying to make sure we encourage people to take bigger chances and make bolder choices and take bigger risks because I think that people, as the company gets bigger, start to think to themselves, without even asking anyone, like, well, I couldn't do that. You know, that would mean that if we did that, you know, that might affect, you know, this other thing. And so no one would ever let me go do that. And I try to make sure that people don't feel that way. I want people to always feel like they can suggest whatever whatever crazy idea they want to suggest and whatever crazy design idea they have. And like, let, it, let me worry about whether it's, you know, something we should never do or not. You shouldn't be thinking that or worrying about that. I, I, I do want to make sure that people feel like, you know, they can suggest whatever they want to suggest, crazy as, as crazy it is, as it is. I think you have to encourage that as the company grows or people start to feel like, well, I could, not, I could never suggest that. You know, Dick would never go for that. And then you're like, well, why not? We're to give it a shot. And then they, yeah, that's right. I wonder if and this sort of goes And then, back. of course, the first person suggested something like that, and I said, are you crazy? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how, how to make sure there is no innovation in your company. Yeah. Yeah, that is the, the dumbest. Yeah, how, yeah, dare yeah. how dare you? How dare you? How dare you waste all of our time? Uh, right. Any other questions? No. <laughs> Any other crazy ideas? Yeah, all the hands no, are shaking, right. and they no, slowly no. go down. Um, but this sort of this, how not this, to do things. This, this goes back to the idea of like a joke that you think is going to be hilarious. Bombing is through through all your time in the tech sector. What have you? Is there anything that you thought? Oh my god, this is going to be amazing! And then you tried to make it, and then you were like, what "Yeah, happened? I'll give you two examples. I mean, I'll give you two two different examples. At FeedBurner, we were working on. We had this notion at FeedBurner of these things we called FeedBurner networks that we rolled out. And the idea behind FeedBurner networks is, was, um, hey, there are all these, uh, you know, like, um, what's a good example? There are all these VC venture uh, capital uh, bloggers, and they all have RSS feeds. And someone should create a network that's kind of a curated network of all the investor feeds. And then you could just subscribe to... The feed of feed, the feed of the investor feeds, right? And get that. And, and then, you know, Joe over here, who's an expert in venture capital, is going to curate those. And so when he changes the list, you'll get the changed list. And you won't, right? And we just thought, wow, this is this indirection, this sort of pointer system to a curated feed of feeds is going to be completely change, mm-hmm. publish and subscribe of content. Like this is going to be absolutely out of this world great. And meanwhile, we were working on this sort of side thing for subscribing to feeds via email that we thought, hey, we should really get that subscribe via email thing wrapped up because we got to roll that out someday, um, even though nobody's going to care about it or probably use it. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the reality was 
we rolled out this like email thing that we weren't even paying any attention to, and it became like half the size of all the way you know that, that people subscribe to these things. And then we rolled out um, FeedBurner Networks. And people were like, these are stupid. You know, there are 92 <laughs> Chicago sports feeds. Which one's the best, right? And they weren't updated and, you know. and uh, So, yeah, I mean, we thought that was going to be, this is going to change, you know, the whole publish subscribe infrastructure and this stupid email thing. Someone's got to go finish that. And then it was the complete opposite in both ways. Were those the two examples that, that the yeah, email? Yeah, those are the two so, sides of the same coin. The two sides of the same coin. And then so... When when an idea like a like a, a a network feed bombs, do you how do you take it? Do you sort of like okay, well on to the next thing, or is there any like what god? You- no, we would do we we would get together and look at it and what wait why do we think that was going to be so great? And then what's the difference between where we are now? What's the di- we, what we would try to look at is what's the difference between what we planned to do and what we thought was going to happen and then what happened. Mm-hmm. Not in like a post, I, I, not in a post-mortem way because that's a, what went wrong? And it, wasn't, it was, wasn't what went wrong. It was, why did we think this was going to happen and then this other thing happened? Like, okay, well, we assumed that the person who curated a thing would be, like it would be this high authority figure and they would want to keep curating it and they would garden it and, and, uh, and we didn't then, you know, and I guess we didn't think, Someone else would come along and say, no, I want to be the guy who oh, curates sure. the venture feed, so I'm going to create a different one and tell everyone you should subscribe to my feed of feeds instead of his feed of feeds and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, But also, there, there, uh, there is sort of an expression of that with, with lists. Yes. Right? So you, there, is, I do, I, there is, were you responsible for that? I was not responsible for that, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Just yeah, being able to. Time. And this idea of human curation, this kind of brings me to another question, which was, is too much of our tech culture relying on algorithms as opposed to human curation? Because there are there are some companies that I feel like we're doing very well with having people curate things and exposing people to new things, and then it's just all algorithmic. It's all suggestion engines. Are we not exposing people to enough things outside their comfort sphere by making it all algorithmic? Or how, where I kind of believe that there's a... I continue to believe there's a happy middle ground in that world that we, and by we I mean the biggest broad-based technology industry, we haven't really totally zeroed in on yet. I mean, when we tried to do, when we, now the small Twitter we, when we tried to really focus on human curation of the previous um, Olympic Olympic Games as an event experience within Twitter, it really lost the, and well, we're only going to, you know, manually curate this sort of the best tweets from the best accounts, and, the, and it really lost the sort of the roar of the crowd that makes Twitter feel like Twitter, yeah. right? And just kind of felt like this, uh, you know, s- sterilized version of Twitter. And so you need some of the, some of the volume and the roar of the crowd and the way out there serendipitous things that maybe only the algorithms would find instead of just somebody combing through all the best tweets about the Olympics. Um, but at the same time, it does feel frequently like, boy, the right combination of the tool, uh, the two, a curation tool plus, the, plus an algorithm is probably the right way to present some of those things to people. I'm sure the challenge is just finding the right people to curate. Of course. I mean, people are still in many cases the best you know, the best 
can provide the best context to the right kinds of ways to expose the information to you. So when you come into Twitter, um, what is it that you see and what is it that you ultimately want to do? I'm sure that there are long-term like, oh, well, we want to be around forever and be able to keep growing, I assume. Or is that not the case? Yeah. No, I think it's absolutely the case. And I think that when we talk about um, building this global town square, you know, we have this core value here um, to reach every person on the planet. Because I think that everybody inside the company has five or six examples or dozens of examples of, wow, this is an absolutely remarkable platform. And here's a way it changed, you know, completely changed the way I communicate, and here's the way it completely changed person X's life. Um, and so we all think, well, obviously it would be better if everyone was on that, uh, was on it, because everyone should be able to benefit from that. And so when we think about the kinds of things we want to do in service to becoming this, really becoming this global town square, it's all about, it's all about um, being the indispensable companion to you know, this moment, whatever the moment is, being the indispensable companion to the live experience. Um, as something's happening, as some moment's happening that you're interested in, the companion experience to it, the conversation about it is on Twitter. And, you know, from we all have dozens of examples of that, but we want it to be the case for everybody all the time. Um, during the Boston... Um, during the Boston Marathon and the bombing in it last, uh, last year, or this year, rather, um, a person who's a friend of a bunch of people in the company, Dennis Crowley, the CEO of Foursquare, was running in it. You know, he had his RFID chip in his shoe you know, tied to Twitter, and so he's tweeting out the miles as he crosses the mile markers. And a bunch of us here are following him. And, you know, he, you saw his 20, you know, crosses mile 25 in his time, and then the next thing you hear is the news of the bombing, and you're thinking, uh-oh, well, like, that was, you know, about 10, 8 minutes ago when Dennis crossed 9 minutes ago, and... Um, and so, you know, you just had this very personal, visceral, like, oh, no, what's, you know, where's Dennis? And then being able to see him on Twitter um, fairly, uh, fairly quickly after that, say, hey, everybody, I'm okay, but I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for my, my girlfriend. Um, and, then, and then being able to, then, then them finding each other because he was broadcasting that and she was able to contact him. I mean, it was, it's unbelievable. And people have those kinds of experiences on Twitter in great ways and in, in, in hard ways like that all the time. So we just need, we want to keep doing a better and better, better job of delivering those moments that are hugely important and relevant to you. And then the conversations around them to you when you want them. And I think it's also important to figure out how to balance your interneting yep. because, you know, essentially communicating in status updates is different than um, communicating the way that people communicate like you and I are communicating. Yeah. It's so it's, you know, it, I think Twitter, well, it's funny to see the way if you go back and look at now that we've got, you know, and we have had for a while archive search up. If you go look at the way people were using it in 2007, 2008, it's totally, I mean, for, for, it's completely different, right? I may have tweeted a handful of breakfasts back then, okay? I was not above it. But I learned. So I told people I had French toast. I mean, so kill me. You know, at the time, that was... Re- Look, at the beginning of film, you would have shot a piece right. of French toast because, hey, this is a new thing. Right. This is what French yeah, toast looks like. Right. So it's not that... Yeah, but I, I think it'd be really... 
I think it'd be fun to. I almost feel like there could be some sort of an app that that's like a that's like a random historical Twitter spinner that basically throws out a tweet from like their, your first year on Twitter yeah. to show you like the kind because I signed up for Twitter like in 07, I think um, on on at Hardwick which I still have and I didn't really use it that much. And then when I started Nerdist, I was like, oh, this will be a good way to tie everything together. And so yeah. that, that's when I, when I went on to 2008. But um, I'm, sure, I'm sure there are um, massive amounts of really stupid things that I did not need to tell everyone. But I was like, I just have to tell someone. And then in a, after a while, I sort of realized, like, oh, you know, it's, Twitter's sort of like your buddy that you elbow and go, look at this, look yeah. at this thing. Yeah. Look, at this, look at this ridiculous no, thing. That's awesome. That's great. It'll continue to evolve. And so, what? Just really quickly, like, as the CEO of a company this size, what does your day entail? What is your? What did you? Is there an average day, or is it? I'm, you know, this podcast, and then a bowl of cereal, and straight to bed. You're going to tweet the cereal, right? <laughs> you have to tweet the cereal. Take a picture of it. Uh, my day entails. Um, I te- I spend a lot of time. I don't do email during the day during the day almost at all. I try to stay off it as much as possible during the day because I just don't want to be, you know, I want to focus on the things I want to focus on when I'm in the office. Um, so the, the things that I focus on are, A, <clears throat> I meet regularly with everybody who reports to me to try to make sure that I can clear roadblocks or things that are preventing them from getting their work out of their way. And those meetings are never status meetings. They're, what do you need me to go, you know, move for you or fix for you so you can get done what you need to get done. So I have those regularly. And then I spend a bunch of time um, really with uh, teams themselves understanding, uh, you know, how productive they are, what's prevent, what, one of the things I'll ask teams a lot is <clears throat> um, what's something that's, uh, that's been hard for you guys to get done that's felt like it should have been easier to get done. Okay. So that, that's a great way for me to learn what are the things that are too hard here to do that I can go, and if I start to see systematic patterns there, what can I go fix in the company? Yeah. Right? What are the things that are taking too long to do that feel like they should be easy to do? And I'll ask that question. That's a question I'll ask of teams a lot. What do you think, like, if you, if you roll out a new feature, whenever there's a change to, to the way that someone is, you know, interacting with someone, yeah. whenever there's a change, no matter what, yeah. A percentage of people, a non-zero number of people, will complain because they do not like change. That's not true. People, everybody. <laughs> that that has to be your answer. Yes, that has to be your answer. But um, no, of course. So no matter what, even if it's a change that's actually yeah. good. So how do you know the difference between where you go? Just trust me. If you just stick with it, you'll end up liking it. And oh, this was actually not a good idea at all. How can you tell the difference? We between really those have things? a. Gr- I think we've really gotten to the point where we have where we have a great. Uh, experimentation framework for rolling experiments out to a fraction of users and then really understanding the combination of what they're saying about it, what the data actually say about how it's being used differently than the control group, and then uh, what we want to do based on what we're seeing them say and what the data say. We also go into those now where they, I would say, we're getting a lot more sophisticated going into those experiments with, you know, what are the, what's our, what's our expectation about what we're trying to achieve with this experiment so that you don't do things like in the experiment, experiment review, 
use whatever the data say now to try to make it fit what you said was right, going to happen. Right, right, right. So you can then, we're, doing, we're, we're much more sophisticated now about, okay, but wait a minute, you said what we were trying to affect when we went into this experiment was X, Y, Z, and instead we're seeing ABC over here. So let's talk about that. Why do you think that between like 01, 02 to maybe 07, there was sort of an explosion of different types of social networks? And it was like, oh, and, and everyone was kind of like, oh, let's be on Friendster, oh, let's be on MyTribe, let's be, let's be on Tribe, let's be on MySpace, let's be on the, you know, and then those all went away. Why, why do you think that we don't see as many, like, how has, how have the, the sort of the giants in social media right yeah. now been I able think to keep a foothold? I think we're still, I think we're still seeing, I think we're still seeing uh, uh, continued innovation and new kinds of things there. I mean, I think Snapchat is a great example of that. I think Line and Japan um, is a great example of that. I think there are going to continue to be a bunch of those. I do. I really do. Do you? Is it, I don't think it will necessarily be at the expense of you know. Oh well, now that this thing is here, I have to stop using that other thing I was using. Do you feel like with all of the different companies and all the different functionalities, do is it? Do you want to create like a sort of fraternity or a pan, a pantheon of like, or or do you find sometimes like? Come on, guys! If we could all just play together, everything would be fine. Or do you feel like there are times? I think that in the I think that in the in the with the secular you know migration of mobile spe- um, specifically, there's just a there are going to be times where you want specific use case apps because it's just easier to go into that app and and quickly get to that kind of functionality that that provides as opposed to a Swiss Army knife. A service that is all things to all people. Um, right. I think you know Vine is very specifically great at what the Vine team has built it for, and I think if you try to sort of um, have it only be part, only exist as part of something else that's doing nineteen things, you would find people who said, eh, "I really just want to get into the thing, quickly get to that, you know, quickly get to this." capability to make these kinds of videos that I want to make. I don't want to go in through this other door and do the 19 other things. Do you meet with other CEOs and sort of and brainstorm and try to talk about how to affect change or is it too is there too much at a certain point do you have too much responsibility to your own company to really be able to do that politically? Um, I would say that when we when I, I do meet with other CEOs and sometimes one on one and sometimes in groups, but I think those meetings are usually more just general industry stuff than what's the what's how could we you know make a better build a better X Y Z. It's more like about stuff like immigration reform and those kinds of general general industry topics. Or um, you know, for me personally, recently it was um, having conversations with a bunch of industry CEOs about just the process of going public right like the thing about becoming a public company is you kind of as a ceo you maybe you do it twice in your life probably most people do it once in their life so you're going through this thing once and it's a but yet it's the thing that the markets have observed hundreds of times so you're trying to get you know insights from people who just went through it that are you know help me understand what you would have done differently if you had it to do over again um, so I spent a bunch of time asking those kinds of questions. I would imagine the bigger the thing is that you're running, the harder it is to be able to change course. Or like you probably come in and you go, I have all these crazy, amazing ideas. And then you get there and you're like, oh, there's this system in place that make it very hard to do that. Yeah, one of the things that I try to make sure 
Um, I saw this at Google too, and I remember actually it was something that um, that Sergey actually talked about at Google, if I remember correctly. Is as you as the company grows, these um, it just gets it. And and by the way, I mean this from five to forty too, not just once you're over you know a thousand people. The organization just gets these um, barnacles on it that that make it harder to go really fast. So you have to constantly work to be, you know, really scrubbing the barnacles off the boat, right? I mean, to really view one of my jobs as, and one of the reasons I asked the question, what's something that takes too long to do here that should be really easy to do is very much in service to where are these barnacles starting to emerge in the organization mm-hmm. that are nobody's fault, right? Someone, something happened at some point in the company and some person in some organization said, well, we can never do that again. That was horrible. And so now every time you want to do X, you know, you got to go through the uh, checkpoint Charlie to make sure we don't do that again. Um, and you start to, those start to accumulate and you got to, you have to sweep through the company and eradicate them um, with some regularity, right? You got to be really careful what you say to yes. you personally yes. as the CEO I have, have to be have careful. This- I've if, had this explicit conversation with the team where I said, "If you say," and it also yeah, kind of also, right. I guess it also sort of feeds into you being a comedy guy. You have to be really careful about how, where your humor comes out too, because you could say something and people are like, "How could?" Or if you say something like, yes. "Oh my god, let's never do that again," and people are like, "He said let's never do that again." He said we can never do that again, and then you all have, of a sudden, you have no idea how <laughs> it's absolutely it's absolutely the case that um, you know. Hey, we shouldn't put the, you know, why is there a plant next to the fruit? Now there are going to be fruit flies all over the plant, you know, and then you'll walk out of the building and then the next day you'll come in and like, what happened to all the plants? Like, well, you said, you know. We burned them the way that you told us to. <laughs> right. No, I just said that you could move them a that's foot a, over. That's exactly, that's exactly oh, right. What? Yeah. Say that? Yeah, we burned them. We burned them the way that you to, said, the way that you said to. That's exactly right. Oh, you got to wrap it up. It's, you have no idea. It's, it's absolutely true. So you really, in fact, I'll find myself saying sometimes now, and I think this is, you know, I, I think this is something that's probably true for uh, true for leaders of any large organization. You have to say, when you say something like, um, hey, don't let X, Y, Z happen again. That's really just disrespectful for our users. You then also have to say, now that doesn't mean nobody can, <laughs> I'm not saying nobody can launch can a, you know, uh, X until they've run it past you because, yeah, so you have to really make sure you reinforce that. All right, so as, as we're sort of wrapping up, and you've been fantastic, by the way, this has been really fun. No, you've been fantastic. No, stop but it. No, uh, make out, make out. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I, this is the point where I could potentially piss you off. So, All right. I will totally cut this out if you want me to. I was having I was having lunch here a few months ago, Uh-oh. and I was talking with a group of of you got some you got some bad bad soup. Well, let's see. No, I didn't get bad soup. I was having lunch with a bunch of Twitter engineers. Oh boy, here and, we go. Uh, and I said, I think I'm coming back here to podcast Dick in December, and they were like, Oh, that's great. Everyone's really chatty. And I said, I should ask him why you can't retweet with a comment. And everyone just went, <laughs> Oh no, you can. You can oh, can I? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, listen, there are, that's funny. I don't think I think you might be misinterpreting their reaction. Oh, okay, good. They had bad soup. Okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> they said you would beat them in the face. They said I would burn all now I am gonna burn all the plants. They said you would burn all their plants and beat them with the ashes. 
No, I, I think it was just more like the poor guy gets at that question mm, all the time. No, here's the, here's, the, here's the simple answer. We have so many different things that we want to do in the product. And um, we've really gotten our, I would say, we've gotten the framework, framework we want for um, cadence and velocity in the product um, a lot farther uh, now than, you know, where, more where we'd like it to be. But there are so many different things at all the different edges of the product that we want to do. There's always some capability that uh, some group of people thinks, this is obviously the most important thing. Because it's important to that guy. Uh, it's yeah. important to that guy. And, I mean, uh, what's another example? Two-factor authentication, What you know, was a, this is obviously the only thing you guys should be working on right, right. now. And then, but there are... 191 of those, right? And we're working on a bunch of them, and uh, so so that's my. What's that's the one you're most excited answer. about right now? Oh, I think one of the things I'm most excited about that I can uh, talk about because it's um, been written about because it's already out in an experiment is um, uh, the our ability to really start to be smart about knowing when a moment is, um, I guess, what I'll call a Six Sigma enough moment for you. It's so, we think that there's a moment that's so particularly relevant to you based on the graph of the people you follow and the accounts that those people follow that when we see a velocity of conversation around it, we'll reach out to you and, uh, and, and let you know about it and pull you back into that experience on Twitter. That is really, really um, getting to be, uh, you know, really nicely done. I had a a couple that I got when I was in the East Coast for the road show that were perfectly relevant to things I was interested in. And I got pulled back into those experiences on Twitter that happened to be, you know, happened to be occurring in a moment. I wasn't on Twitter because I was going through some of the calls we had for the road show. And those are great. That's exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about we can be this indispensable companion to the live experience and come find you when we see a moment or a conversation happening that we know you're going to be interested in. Those are great. I'm super excited about that. Well, this was a fantastic moment, and I really appreciate you having oh, me up nice. to see that. Nicely that done, was, sir. That was an nice. end scene well, right there. Yes, blackout. You know, lights. Should, we should just, where are the lights? Yeah, well, let's hit the just lights. Totally they just blacked scene. out the right there. room. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them. Up-and-coming rapper YNW Melly gained notoriety in the hip-hop world for his shocking lyrics and criminal exploits. When two of his best friends were gunned down in a drive-by shooting, investigators suspected the young rapper staged the scene. But after not one, but two trials that ended in hung juries and new evidence that may place YNW Melly at the scene of the crime, his trial has been paused indefinitely. With countless twists and turns, Law & Crime covers all angles of the case and begs the question, is this young artist the victim of a witch hunt or a silver-tongued devil who's evil to the core? Listen to Murder on My Mind exclusively and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.